I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. everybody welcome back to another episode of the mid-american bandwagon episode 54 coming to you live here on this fine evening as always i am zach follador joined by my co-host sam Thillman. sam how you doing tonight man doing good episode 54 reminds me of brian urlacher for some reason just there you go throwback for you nfl folks out there but i i don't know if there's anybody else that was iconic wearing 54 oh patrick patterson nba player that's another one <laughs> there you go i'm sure if you go back i mean that's like the quintessential linebacker number i'm sure if you look back through the years there's been some other uh some other like hall of fame linebackers that have worn 54 other than Erlacher. but um before we get into the news here tonight and to the rest of the show um, we, we do have some news as it regards the bandwagon itself. Um, it's, it's a sad day here at bandwagon headquarters as, uh, my co-host here, Sam, this is going to be his last episode as he gets a send off and finish up his, uh, his career at ball state. Sam, you're going to be missed around here, man. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to miss this podcast. It's going to be weird not having anything to do on Wednesdays really in the evening time. I'm going to have to figure out something to do with my time. And in backstory for you listeners, uh, back in May, I told James, if you don't know who James is, our boss, kind of after I graduated, because I'm graduating a year early, that I would be moving on from this podcast. And credit to James, um, he found someone to replace me. Funny enough, we will be interviewing the person replacing me, um, Steve Helwick. He is going to be taking over my role as co-host of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. So again, nothing's really changing in form form of episodes. So once a week, everything's the same. I am just being replaced. It's I. It's time for me to move on. I I just think it's right. I I think it's fair to Zach to let him know a little bit early than just to depart without kind of any heads up. So credit to James. He, he found somebody and it just so happened that July 14th, this will be my last episode. Yeah, man, well, you will be missed. It's been a, it's been a wild ride this last year. Or so, uh, you know, getting into it with Toledo fans on Twitter. Uh, we had, you know, the, <laughs> the mascot bracket challenge last summer we did, that was your idea. That was a great thing that we did to get some initial publicity to get this podcast going. But, um, yeah, as Sam said, um, Later in this episode, we'll be interviewing Steve Helwick, who is going to be my new co-host on the show here. Steve, if you followed the Hustle Belt or Underdog Dynasty um, here, he's he's been a member, a contributor with for both sites uh, for a number of years. Uh, he's actually covered a couple of, of Mac Bowl games in person here over the last couple of seasons. Uh, I know he's, he's a Longhorn. He's a graduate of Texas, lives down in Texas. So he's going to be joining us here at the end of the show here tonight. And then starting next week, he, he, him and I, we will be uh, co-hosting together. Sam, I know before we started recording, you said you had a couple things you wanted to kind of get off your chest here uh, for the final episode. I, you have the floor, my man. Go ahead and, and say what you need to say. 
first thing you brought up Texas. Gotta say Texas is back. That wasn't related to anything I just said. <laughs> Sam Ellinger, uh, now a Colt said it, so I gotta say it. Texas is back. But uh, yeah, two things again. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna say the the funny thing first. Again, my favorite moment that I've ever seen and will forever be is the Mike Glass Bowl game. And what it taught me is if you ever get mad, whether it's in a, a, a um, video game or what, just punch something. Doesn't matter the repercussions, punch something. That's what I learned. <laughs> and then something something I kind of heard is to leave leave whatever you kind of build on better than you kind of entered it if that or i don't know how the saying is like better than you found it yeah 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 that sort of thing so yeah i i just want if you don't know my story i i i'm gonna be honest i i worked for everything i had i didn't get any handouts and that's kind of my message for everybody listening kind of kind of letting you guys know what throughout my ball state career getting opportunities at pro football focus ball state graphic design and this especially, James gave me a chance, and it was based on my own merit. And I'm extremely proud of what we've done in this 54 episodes. And you listeners, if, even if you hated all my my uh, cold takes, hot takes, whatever, just know that the lesson you can learn from me is I, I worked for everything I had, and I'm extremely proud of that. Yes, my parents obviously did support me along the way, but every opportunity I got wasn't based on connections rather my own merit so anything you want to take away from my experience um if you're you're an incoming freshman at a max school or whatever is just just to work hard and and just just sell yourself be confident in who you are you, you have abilities you have skills i i work for everything so yeah that's just, that's just my my quick little motivational message kind of leaving the the bandwagon better than I uh, came into it as. It's a great message, man. I, I love it. And uh, you're right. I mean, we, we built this thing from scratch starting last year and you were a big part of that. Um, so you're going to be, you're going to be sorely missed. And I might, uh, you know, I might, when that your, your, your slogan there that you just mentioned, uh, you know, if you get angry, just punch something. I don't know. I might have to get a tad of that or something. I don't know. <laughs> something, <laughs> something, to, something to remember you by, but uh, anyway, let's not get too sentimental here, man. Again, you know, it's been a, it's been great this past year building this thing up and, and seeing the growth and having the interactions on Twitter with with the, the Mac universe. It's been a lot of fun. So um, we're, we're going to miss you here, man. But let's go out with a bang here. Let's have a good final episode here. We got some big news to talk about here tonight. We got a couple good segments to talk about regarding football. And then, like I said, we'll have uh, we'll have Steve on here at the end of the episode. But Sam, let's jump right into the news here and uh Man, I tell you what, you woke up today on this uh, this Wednesday morning, and um, man, the 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 unexpected news hits you over the head, Sam. Big news out of Athens this morning. Yeah, um, kind of ironic that it's my last episode, considering it's Frank Solich. He's no longer going to be the head coach. I mean, this was just this just caught off everybody off guard. This was a news drop in the middle. I don't think anybody besides probably Ohio's administration knew that this was coming coming like to be honest and it just dropped on twitter all of a sudden i'm sure ohio university fans are freaking out at this moment wondering where their football program's headed because we're not that too far away into um until the um actual season starts so hopefully frank solich i i would think 
kind of let the administration know ahead of time so that they could prepare, kind of let his predecessor know what what is about to happen so they have time to prepare. And they, yeah, that that's kind of my short and um, summary of what happened. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I think the this move would be the timing would be a lot worse if they didn't already have the, you know, the next head coach on the staff, which they have done. Um, you know, offensive coordinator Tim Albin has been uh, promoted to head coach, given a four-year contract. He's been with the team. He's been the offensive coordinator for the entirety of Frank Solich's tenure for the last 16 years. So I think that'll certainly help the, the transition. But but let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Uh, Frank Solich, I mean, I don't think it's hyperbole or exaggeration to say that he is a Mac coaching legend. He is... Um, his uh, the winningest head coach in Mac history with 50, 115 overall victories, 77 conference wins, um, 173 wins overall, fourth most among active and NCAA FBS head coaches. And pretty incredible stat here, Sam. In the 30 years prior to the Bobcats hiring Frank Solich, they had been to two bowl games in 30 years, and then. Uh, in his 16 years, they had 11 winning campaigns and uh, and and 11 bowl bowl appearances. So they had two bowl appearances prior to his tenure, and in the last 16 years under his leadership, they've gone to 11 bowls. So, I mean, Ohio football was was nothing before Frank Solich came around in the year 2000 or whatever, 2004, 2005. And um, I think they honestly, Sam, I mean, they have been if one of, if not the most consistent programs in that span, they seem to put a, a winning product on the field every single year. And I think that starts with the head coach, obviously. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there. It's It seemed like the past, um, set, it says 17 years he was around. It seemed like every year you could lock in Ohio for a bull victory. Didn't matter the record, nine and four, seven and six, eight and five, six and six. He was going to get them to a bowl game, and he did that. Um, it's I, I think it's sad that we never got to see a MAC championship victory out of Frank Solich. That's one of the – I don't want to say Knox because that has like a negative connotation, but kind of, kind of things missing on his resume. But his resume is stacked more than any other MAC coach currently. I mean, there's there's no competition at this moment. And it's just it's just crazy to see him leaving. I like I I've there's been people I I've been let's see, he's been coaching since 1998, which is I was born in 2000, which means he was coaching for longer <laughs> than I was alive, which is just insane to me. And if there's not a statue around Bobcat Stadium. We, we got a riot at this point. I, I think it's well-deserved. Frank Solich put his heart and soul into this Ohio program. The only, I think he's had, what, two losing seasons out of his entire 17 yeah. years at coaching. And Ball yeah. State had four out of the past five Mike New seasons. <laughs> perspective. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got to point that on my last uh, episode here. But the point remains is he's just a legend. There needs to be a statue. Uh, he, from all the Twitter memes for just all the wins, all the success he's had for all the draft picks Ohio's had, he's one that Ohio should never forget about. I agree completely. I think there has to be a statue or 
some type of commemoration of Frank Solich in Athens here in the next couple of years, because what he did, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that he saved Ohio football. I mean, Ohio football was in a bad place before he ended up there. My own personal Frank Solich story um, back in, in 2012, when I was still in college at Penn state week one, the opening week of that season was also the first game of Bill O'Brien's tenure as head coach at Penn State. Hmm. Frank Solich and his Bobcats came into Beaver Stadium and upset the Nittany Lions in week one. I was in this, that was my junior year at Penn State. I was in the stands that day. And um, I will never forget the disappointment in Happy Valley that night after we got knocked off by Ohio. We went on to win eight games that year. Penn State wasn't, it wasn't a bad season for Penn State. That's just how good Ohio was at that time. And one of the catalysts of that victory, quarterback Tyler Tettleton on that team, it was announced that he's going to be uh, joining the, the new staff with, with uh, Coach Tim Albin getting promoted from offensive coordinator to head coach. He, they announced that uh, Tyler Tettleton is going to join the staff as the running back coach and passing game coordinator. Tettleton has had coaching stops over the last few years with Oklahoma, the Cleveland Browns, and LSU. And uh, Sam, I think with, with Tim Albin getting promoted, I think that the Bobcats are going to be in a pretty good place. I mean, they'll have continuity among their staff, at least. And also, if you look at his offensive uh, output, the offensive units he's put on the field here over the last 10 years, um, I mean, they, they put up numbers. I mean, in the past, this is, a, I'm going to read this right from the press release on Ohio's website. In the past 10 seasons, Albin's offensive units rank number one, two, four, five, six, seven, and eight in the Ohio all-time top 10 single season scoring list. So, I mean, this is a guy, I mean, he has produced offenses on what, you know, while he's been on staff in Athens. Now, is he going to be able to recruit to the level that Frank Solis did? I think the only time will tell that. But I think given that the, the talent that they have on their, ta- their roster this year and, you know, for the next couple of years, they're still going to be performing at a high level. They're still going to have every opportunity to, to get a MAC championship. Now, is that going to, are they going to be able to sustain that success? Obviously, we'll, we'll have to wait and see that. But I think for the immediate future, I think the program is still in pretty good shape. I agree. And one thing that indicates to me is him being the head coach without an interim tag, which suggests to me that he was hired, that they knew that this was going to happen probably a couple months ago, and they just had to figure out the details. They saw Tim Alvin's success with the offense. He was kind of in waiting until the announcement. I, I, I think the one thing that's sad is uh, his last season, Frank Solich's last season, was in a season in which they only played three games. I think that's the whole downside to this retirement thing. I think what just a few years ago he signed a, another two-year extension, which is which is wild yeah. to think. I I I don't think Ohio fans kind of fault him for retiring. He's put his heart and soul, his his energy for for sure into this game, and college football has given him nothing but love and respect. And I think that will be shown this season. They'll probably probably do a tribute week one or what have you. But the point is, I, I, I think everybody's sad to see Frank Solish go, but I think everybody just had a clock in their mind that there was only a few, probably a few more seasons before Frank Solich was going to retire. And this just happened to be the season he chose. It. Yeah, I'm with you. And um, I, I, if anyone uh, saw on Twitter, 
uh, something we retweeted earlier from the Mac bandwagon account was uh, Nick Petrovich, friend of the show, been on the show previously where, you know, he worked for the Toledo Blade and has, has covered the Mac for a long time. This was, that was one of the things he mentioned, Sam, was that, you know, um, if you talk to administrators and people in the know at Ohio, this is something that has been brewing for a bit. You know, the, the, the coaching staff at Ohio knew after the last 2020 game that Solich might retire this offseason. So I definitely think you're right. I think they, they had an inkling that this was coming and that allowed them to comfortably explore their options on the staff. And I think Tim Albin just showed himself to be a, a, a good option. So um, hats off to Frank Solich for a great career. We're, we're going to miss uh, covering him and, you know, miss watching his teams play. We'll see if Ohio can get a, a Mac championship here at some point in the next few years uh, in, in his honor. Um, some other, some other coaching news coming out of Ohio. Um, if you recall a couple, a month or two ago, we, uh, we had mentioned that, um, Ohio's previous men's, men's volleyball coach, um, had, uh, had stepped down. I'm sorry, women's volleyball coaches stepped down in Ohio. Uh, it sounds like they went out and got their guy, Sam. Yeah. Uh, Ohio kind of had one coach leaving or bringing someone else in Julie Cromer, the, the AD of Ohio announced that they, they have signed Jeff Carlston as the head of the Ohio volleyball program. This is apparently Carlston, who who I'm really unfamiliar with. Um, it's his second stint at the helm of the Ohio volleyball program, previously being the head coach from 2003, 2007. So pretty interesting, not only bringing in a guy who's been there before, but not only been an assistant coach, but a head coach as well. Yeah. And I think this is a guy that uh, when you look at his track record from his time at Ohio, uh, I mean, in five years, they reached the NCAA tournament every season. They won five straight MAC conference championships, overall record of 144 and 22. They went 78 and two in the MAC uh, over that time. I mean, that those are absurd numbers. Now, he parlayed that. Uh, experience into the head volleyball coach job at Ohio State. He held that job for 12 years. So he's com- he's led the Bobcats and the Buckeyes combined to 12 NCAA tournament appearances. So he did it five times at Ohio. And then in 12 years at Ohio State, he made it seven times. He's made it to the NCAA Sweet 16 six times. Uh, he was t- 220 and 153 in 12 years at Ohio State. So, I mean, this is, I mean, you want to talk about pedigree. This is a guy that has pedigree. He's done it in the Mac before at Ohio. I'm usually when a, when a team rehires an old coach that they had previously, I'm usually a little bit leery of that. I'm not always sure that that works out, but I think here the numbers speak for themselves. And I, I think Jeff Carlson, I think this was a slam dunk home run hire by Julie Cromer. Yeah. I think the two volleyball hires were solid first with ball States men's volleyball program. And now here with Carlson for both slam dunks, his history, his record, his accolades that his players have accrued, his NCAA tournament appearances. I think everything speaks to what Carlston brings. I, I'm interested to see how he's kind of switched his philosophy from, from the time he's been there um, in 2003, 2007 to bring it to the current game. That is 2021 heading into 2022. I'm interested to see if he can bring that success here because He's obviously had success overall in his career, not just at Ohio, but previously with other teams. So if he can continue his success, like you said, it will be a slam dunk. I think Ohio's volleyball program should be in a good spot 
hopefully we see the the football program kind of maintain that Frank Solish pedigree. But I think this Ohio women's volleyball team is in pretty good hands here. I agree with you completely there, Sam. I agree with you completely. One, uh, one last piece of news to talk about here this week. Uh, obviously, over this past weekend, we had the, uh, the MLB draft. A couple of MAC players, uh, notable MAC players that got drafted, Sam, including uh, someone in the top 10 picks in the first round. Not something you see every day from the MAC. Yeah, I got to say first, the, the MLB chose a terrible day to host the um, MLB draft. A day when the, the final a, was a game four was being held. I mean, you couldn't do it the next day because there's been three days of <laughs> no basketball. But yeah, uh, nine, nine total max student athletes selected in the MLB draft. Like you mentioned, someone drafted in the with the ninth pick to the Angels, Sam Bachman from Miami, Ohio. The legendary right-hand pitcher, Sam Bachman, selected in the first round. Highest Miami drafted, highest Miami athlete drafted since Wally Zerbiak was pick six in 1999. So big shoes to fill out of Miami, Ohio. Shout out to Sam for not only having an awesome name, got a shout out to him for <laughs> representing, you know. But yeah, um, and Zach, if you want to run through kind of the other draft picks real fast, and we'll kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, that's yeah, let's do that. So obviously, yes, as, as Sam mentioned, Sam Bachman, pitcher from Miami, first round, uh, ninth pick overall, and then in uh, in the third round, um, in the third round, we had uh, Joe Rock, left hand pitcher from Ohio, with the sixty eighth overall pick. The fourth round. We had uh, right-hand pitcher Chase McDermott from Ball State. He went 132nd overall to the Astros. Uh, in the sixth round, at number 168, we had Luke Albright, pitcher from uh, Kent State, going to Arizona. Shout out to the, the MAC pitching staffs this year. A lot of MAC pitchers getting drafted. Uh, in the tenth round, uh, Justin Mice, right-hand pitcher from Eastern Michigan, uh, picked 283 to the Pittsburgh Pirates. My condolences to Justin. I'm sorry you're going to have to deal with the Pirates organization. Uh, and then in the 13th round, we had Chris Myers, the player of the year this past year in the MAC, uh, the first baseman from Toledo. He was picked by the Detroit Tigers, so he's just going to have to take a short drive up I-75 there from Toledo to get to his new home. 14th round, uh, the second pitcher from Miami's pitching staff this past year, Jacob Webb, uh, went number 406 to the Red Sox. Uh, in the 15th round, we had Blake Dunn, the outfielder from Western Michigan, went to the Reds. And then in the 16th round, Ian Leatherman, the right-hand pitcher from Central Michigan, uh, with pick 491, went to the Devil Rays. So, again, a lot of great pitching talent in the MAC this year, Sam. A lot of good stuff there. We'll be curious to see. Obviously, anyone that follows baseball knows it's, it's quite a process to progress through the minor league system. It'll probably be a couple of years before we see any of these guys hit the big leagues. But nonetheless, awesome to see these many, this many players get drafted for the MAC, and we'll certainly be tracking their progress as they start their professional careers. Yeah, no doubt. I got a few thoughts. First, I saw the I saw a statistic that the Angels had 20 picks, and in all 20 picks, they picked a pitcher, and Sam Bachman just happened to be the first one. Wow. Second, I'm not the biggest fan of Chase McDermott going to the Cheaters, to be honest. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't need to be banging trash cans in Texas. I'm sorry. I wish he would have been drafted to another team. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, uh, good luck to Justin Mays dealing with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Maybe I'll be able to see him when he comes to the Indians. Organ I assume. Ho there you go. He comes to AAA, comes through Indy, because I'd love to see a MAC product. Um, 
play. And then finally, I, I think I was surprised that Chris Myers fell all the way to the 13th, considering the rep, considering the um, season he had batting 378, uh, 55 runs, leading the MAC, making the league's first triple crown winner. And I understand batting's not everything in the 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 MLB realm, but it's a heck of a it's it's very important. Not only that, and if you get drafted to a team who has a DH, you can make him a permanent DH. Obviously, he's not going to go straight to the MLB most likely. But the point remains is there's always a spot for hitting in any organization. I agree with you completely, Sam. I, I am surprised Chris Myers went, you know, he didn't go until pick 375. I mean, you mentioned the triple crown winner in, in the Mac. I mean, this is a guy that finished the season 11th in the country in slugging percentage and 16th in the country in on base percentage. So, I mean, this is a guy who you stack him up against everyone. You throw the SDC in there, the ACC in there, the PAC 12 in there, the three, you know, really strong traditional baseball conferences and his numbers still hold up. So um, yeah, you mentioned the, you know, the fact that he's going to the AL where he could potentially play the DH as well as his natural position of first base looks like that could be a, a great landing spot for him. So we'll see, you know, like we said, it's, it, it'll be a while. We'll see where we'll see over the summer where these guys get assigned to start their minor league careers. And then, uh, hopefully, you know, three, four years from now, we'll start to see some of these guys in the big leagues and we can look back on this and, and say that we talked about them. So best of luck to, to all nine of those, uh, those guys getting drafted in the MLB and best of luck as they embark on their professional careers. Um, let's move into some, uh, some football preview talk here, Sam. And, you know, we had been discussing, Sam and I had been discussing over the last week or so, what were some, what was an idea or something we wanted to do to kind of, you know, round out Sam's last show. And one thing that we wanted to touch on here tonight, we wanted to go through each team in the map this for this coming football season and talk about the guy or guys on the team who we see as being like their team MVP or the keys to success for their team. So let's run through these all here, Sam. Uh, we have a list here on our rundown that we'll go through. Let's just start at the top, Sam, and uh, let's let's go ahead and start with Toledo. Who, who do you have as, as Toledo's key to success this year? I went with a, a guy from Toledo. I uh, So I, I'd like to preface this as, Obviously, when you're talking about football MVPs, you're going to jump straight to the quarterback. And I know you have some quarterbacks on your list, Zach, but yeah. I wanted to fully stick away from the QBs because that wouldn't be fun. I would just go Caleb LB for Western Michigan, Dustin yeah. Trump for Kent State, etc. So I wanted to switch things up and do non-QBs um, MVPs for my list. And I went with a guy who should be a stud this season coming in the back, coming out of the defensive backfield of Toledo, and that's Tyson Anderson. I mean, this is a guy who roams the back, roams the um, the 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 back the back end for Toledo, and is a stud to be frank. I mean, the numbers stack up for him. He not only can intercept, pass the flex, had four last season, six games, five before that, five and five pass deflections before that, but also make. Make tackles, 193 tackles in his uh, four seasons so far at Toledo. Has seven tackles for loss in the the for Toledo's defense. Overall stud, I expect him to stand out on the defensive side with Samuel Womack being his cornerback. It allows him to be to kind of roam a little bit more. And I think Tyson Anderson is going to be someone to watch out for this season. Yeah, I think it's a great pick, Sam. I think um, Toledo's defense 
was one of the best in the Mac this year. And if they want to have a chance this season, they're going to need to repeat that. I think their defense has a chance to be really, really good this year. They have their entire defensive two deep back. And uh, this is a team that only allowed 362 yards per game last year, which was first in the Mac. Obviously, Tyson Anderson on the back end was was a huge, huge part of that. Um, didn't even, you know, a lot of it, it's gotten to the point with Tyson Anderson where a, a lot of quarterbacks, you can tell, it seems like they don't even want to test him. They don't want to throw the ball down the field. Last year, only had two passes defended all season because, you know, opposing quarterbacks didn't really target him. They knew, um, you know, what he was back there, that he was had the potential to intercept any pass and that he was great in coverage. Also great coming up in, in uh, run game support. So I hear you, Sam. I think this is a good pick. And I think, um, you know, any success that Toledo is going to have this year, it's going to depend heavily on their defense just because of how experienced they are. And having a four-year guy, now five-year guy like Tyson Anderson on the back end can go a long way towards that, definitely. I agree. And who do you have, Zach? Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I hate to go with the obvious one here for Toledo, but I did go with, with Carter Bradley at, at quarterback. And the, the only reason I say that is because I think – the quarterback position for Toledo this year is really the only question mark I have on their team. Like I said, their entire starting defense is back, a defense that played very well last year. All of they have their entire offensive line back. You have Bryant Kobach back at running back. You have Bryce Mitchell and Isaiah Winstead back at your wide receivers. You have everything you need. Now I just need my quarterback to perform. Now, Carter Bradley last year kind of got tossed in, only completed 46% of his passes. I need him to do better this year. I think he will do better this year. And I think if Toledo is going to have the type of season that they, they are capable of having, which to me means get back to Ford Field and win the West Division, it's going to come down to Carter Bradley. He is the key to their season this year. And I think if they're going to have success, it's going to start with him. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the one downside of Toledo, like you mentioned, was the offense, and more specifically uh, Carter Bradley, because they figure out their backfield. Bryant Kobach's just a stud, to be honest. He was uh, someone else in my mind who I was thinking about putting for a football MVP. And I think one of the things that opponents weren't really scared about with Toledo was their offense, and especially, like you mentioned, the quarterback position. Carter Bradley struggled at times, given – He's only been a, a starter for two seasons now, uh, technically a junior, I believe. So he's got time to develop. And I, I think this season Toledo is going to need to step him up, even though he's kind of an unexperienced guy. He's dealt with injuries at times. He's dealt with struggles at times. So I think for Toledo to win a lot of games this year, it's going to be dependent on Carter Bradley's back to step up because – uh, from what I saw of previous seasons, I wasn't too impressed with him. But, again, he's got time. And even if this season's not this year, I think Carter Bradley can have, go into next year knowing he had more games under his belt. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you there. So any success Toledo is going to have this year is going to hinge on Carter Bradley. Let's move on to, uh, to Ball State here, Sam. Obviously, you're, you're close to the program there. Um, who, who do you see as being the, the keys to success for the Cardinals this year? See, I was struggling. I, w I went between three names in my mind. I'm, I'm not going to go through three of them. But basically, I, I, decide, I was deciding between Johannes Tyler, who I think is just going to have a breakout season for Ball State. I didn't go with him as an MVP, but I thought about it. I went with two, Jimmy Dahl. He really came of late in the season. 
he, and especially he shares the same birthday as I do, so another plus of him. <laughs> but he was really a stud in that Western Michigan game and uh, that that um, MAC championship game against uh, Buffalo, forcing a fumble. I do believe in that game. He was really stud. But what really impressed me from watching last season was a guy we landed by transfer out of Rice, Anthony Ekpe. This dude, if you have not watched Anthony Ekpe, Toledo fans will know him by his forced fumble at the end of the game to seal Ball State's victory. Uh, he's just a stud. Uh, we looked into transferring him, and he's, his speed is unreal, unmatched. He's going to give tackles all over the Mac, hectic, may even Penn State when they play or even Wyoming. This dude is fun to watch for me as a Ball State student. He's coming off the edge, just wreaking havoc in the backfield. Let me look at his 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 stats from last year. He had five sacks in six games. Yeah, seven tackles for loss. Wasn't had had barely an offseason to get a familiar with the new defensive system and have five sacks, seven uh, tackles for loss, two forced fumbles, only fourteen tackles, but. He's just a lecture guy to watch. I love watching him each game, and I can't wait to watch him this season. Yeah, Sam, I think uh, I think it's a great pick. This was a guy that really, really, um, I think, stood out last year among the newcomers in the MAC. I mean, this is a guy that really uh, acquitted himself well. Led the MAC in sacks last year with five in in, in six games, as you said. Uh, this is a this is a guy who's a force off the edge and. Ball State's defense, there's there's so much talent returning that there's a lot of guys you could have picked, but I, I think you picked a good one here in Anthony Ekpe. I, I had a similar thought to you, and you know, I went I, I went with two guys on on Ball State's defense. I went with Brandon Martin and Bryce Cosby, two guys more kind of kind of the, known as the leaders of the defense. And my thinking here, Sam, was that. I, I have no questions about the Cardinals offense, right? Everyone's back. You got great wide receivers. You have a great offensive line. You have a great quarterback. The defense last year did have moments where they were a little bit shaky. I mean, they were ninth in the Mac in total defense last year. They gave up 430 yards per game. They were 11th in pass defense at 294 per game. So I'm going to need more from Bryce Crosby on the back end, and I'm going to need more from Brandon Martin getting to the quarterback from the linebacker position. I think both of those guys, and along with uh, with Anthony Ekpe, I think if 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 Brandon Martin and Anthony Ekpe can provide consistent pressure uh, on opposing quarterbacks, I think it'll make Bryce Crosby's job a lot easier on the back end. And I think Ball State's defense will be much improved this year. I think if Ball State can get stops consistently this year, I don't know how you're going to beat them because their offense is that stacked. So I went with Brandon Martin and Bryce Cosby. I was thinking along the same lines as you, though. Yeah, uh, for me, I love Bryce Cosby. I think he's one of the underrated people who doesn't necessarily put up flashy stats, but is the leader of that defense. He's been in that system for a while now. He knows the ins and outs. Tyler Stockton have a great relationship. I know Mike New stressed the importance of how vital Bryce Cosby is to the locker room. Brandon Martin, uh, co-Mac defensive player of the year last year, just a stud. Like you said, offense for Ball State, no worries for me. Maybe maybe it'll be kind of a um, maybe a different system now that Caleb Hunley's kind of gone and they're, they're going to be forced to kind of go to a two-back system. But for the most part, the offense is gone. And I think like you mentioned, the defense at times was exposed. That Western Michigan first half, 
yeah. we were we were one half away from not heading to the the MAC championship game and having this historic run that we do now. And it's the main reason was the defense step that Bryce Cosby, Jimmy Dodd, Brandon Martin, uh, who did I say, Anthony Ekby really stepped up and forced Western Michigan into some vital mistakes. And and I I love Brandon Martin's game. He he has so many ta- each game you can account for him probably 15 tackles easily. Bryce Cosby's leadership is unmatched. And Forrester replacing Antonio Phillips, Bryce Cosby is going to need to step up, and, and I like your pick there. Yeah, definitely. A lot of uh, focus on the defensive side of the ball for the Cardinals here. Let's move on. Next, we got Central Michigan here, Sam. Who, who do you got for the Chippewas? I went with a guy who seemed to be Central Michigan's whole offense. Maybe that's just my thinking, but this dude seemed like any time uh, Central Michigan was in a rut, kind of in a – a uh, what do you call it? A um, a rough situation. They put this guy and gave him the ball in his hands. And I'm not talking about a quarterback. I'm talking about a receiver, Khalil Pimpleton, who does it all on the field. Not only passing, he actually had a, a 16 attempts for 134 yards and three touchdowns rushing. Not to mention his 277 yards and two touchdowns receiving. The year before that. He had 82 receptions, 894 yards, and six touchdowns. Let me repeat that. 80 receptions, 894 yards, and six touchdowns. For Central Michigan's flaws on the offense, Khalil Pimpleton wasn't that. I know James, our, our uh, head creative director of Hustle has mentioned how much he loves Khalil Pimpleton, and it's easy to see why his, his electricity on the field is just amazing. He's a small figure, but he's also super fast. I believe he also transferred from um, Virginia Tech, uh, sat out there before the transfer rules uh, um, were changed. But two years at Central Michigan has been a focal point of the offense, and, and you can really see why. I expect a breakout season like he did kind of 2019. Yeah, I, I'm with you there, Sam. I think this is a guy that's primed to get back to those 2019 levels. Again, 82 catches, 894 yards, six touchdowns in 2019 in his first full season in uh, in Mount Pleasant. I agree with you, Sam. This is a guy that's I, as dynamic and as athletic as any guy in the conference. And I think if uh, if if Central Michigan can figure out their quarterback position, then he is going to have a huge year. Now that leads me to my pick here for Central Michigan, which I did. I, I went with the quarterback position here. I didn't pick a specific guy, but I went with the quarterback position. Now, here's the thing. Central Michigan, you have 11 starters back on offense. You have every offensive lineman back. You have Khalil Pimpleton back. You have Kobe Lewis back at running back. Now they just need to figure out who their quarterback is going to be. You had true freshman Daniel Richardson uh, taking snaps last year. He was kind of... Uh, he was kind of thrust into that position after the whole David Moore saga and David Moore wasn't able to play. He didn't, he played pretty well. I mean, 64% completion, 769 uh, yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Now the question mark is they brought in Jacob Sermon, uh, a transfer from Washington this off season. I think most of the time, whenever a power five transfer comes into a Mac program, you're going to assume that that guy is going to start. Daniel Richardson played pretty well last year. I don't, I'd be curious to hear uh, from Central Michigan fans' perspective who they think the quarterback is going to be. But the quarterback, similar to what I was saying about Ball State, how 
that's really my only my or I'm sorry, similar to what I was saying about Toledo, how quarterback's my only question mark. Same thing here with Central Michigan. And so I think if they can get good quarterback play next year, this is a team that has as much returning production as just about anyone in the conference. And I think if they can get that quarterback position found out, they're going to be well positioned to compete for a division championship. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, you mentioned Central Michigan quarterback uh, situation. I just have to mention it. I've been seeing on Twitter how great John Keller has been doing. So, so mm, shout out to him yeah. for doing so well. Um, yeah, it was a scary situation there for a while, but I'm glad he pulled through. But like you said, Central Michigan's offense was stuck. It seemed like stuck in first year. They were trying to get to the second, third year, but could never really establish that. And that had to do a whole lot with the quarterback situation. I think, I think Central Michigan, I saw it as they wanted David Moore back but because the NCO and they, they prepared like he was coming back and it just never happened. So they were, they kind of shifted their focus, I think mid off season to realizing they're going to have to figure out their, their situation, make Daniel Richardson, who I don't think they really believed in and gave him the whole kind of tools to the chest. If you want to say it, say it that way, it, it just looked dysfunctional. I think Jacob Sermon bringing in, I think they trust him. They see what he brings. They they see his potential being a four-star. I think if they're going to name a starting quarterback, my money would be on Jacob Sermon because of the potential he has. No offense to Daniel Richardson. He did a nice job kind of being a placeholder quarterback. But I don't think Central Michigan fans are really necessarily a believer in him. And I wouldn't fault the coaching staff in uh, McElwain to kind of make a switch to this kind of uh, shiny transfer they got from Washington. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I can't disagree with you. I, I kind of feel bad for Daniel Richardson. I feel like he was thrust into that position uh, last minute and he performed well. And now he has to kind of go re-earn his job again over this, you know, over Jacob Sermon who transferred in from the West Coast. So we'll see how that plays out over the next month or so as, as fall camp opens. Um, let's move on. Next up with Sam, we got Western Michigan. Who'd you go with for the, uh, for the Broncos? I went with um, a few episodes ago. I mentioned Sky Moore's name as a personal breakout. And, and with that being said, I have to put him as the MVP because I, I think there's no way that this Broncos offense gets, um, gets going. Uh, you, you put in Ladarius Jefferson. I don't, I don't blame you at all. But at the same time, we know Caleb Elby is going to throw 50 times. And for them not to have Dwayne Eskridge, Somebody is going to have to step up, and this is a guy who let me let me pull up his numbers from 2019. He had 51 catches, similar to uh, Khalil Pimpleton, 802 yards and three touchdowns. He had a down year, 17 catches, 283 yards, three touchdowns in six games a season ago. But there's going to be a number one shoes to fill coming out of the Washington or the Western Michigan W's, as I like to call them. And, <laughs> Sky Moore's going to be that guy in my mind. Caleb Elby is a pass-first guy. No offense to Ladarius Jefferson, but, yeah, I think Sky Moore is going to step up in his shoes. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good pick, Sam. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking along the same lines as you in, in terms of having to replace someone like Dwayne Eskridge. I think the reason I went with Ladarius Jefferson and just the running back room in general at Western Michigan is because not only do they have – three really talented running backs behind Ladarius Jefferson. You got Sean Tyler and Rashawn Davey, but also you have what, in my opinion, is going to be the best offensive line in the Mac. 
And I think whenever you have a strong offensive line like that, obviously, that yes, you're going to be able – that's going to give Caleb Ellaby more time to throw. And I know that they've been a more pass-happy offense the last few years. But I think when you have an offensive line like that that can really move guys around and open up holes, I think you got to lean on that and lean into the run game a little bit more. I'm not saying that they're going to do that for sure. I'm just saying I think behind that offensive line, I think Ladarius Jefferson this year could have a really big year for the Broncos. And, and you know, I think the fact that they have so much talent on offense, it's going to help Ladarius Jefferson and it's going to help Sky more, right? These opposing defenses aren't going to be able to, to focus on one guy or even one thing. They can attack you in so many different ways that I think both Sky Moore and Ladarius Jefferson are primed to have really good breakout seasons this year. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with you. Ladarius Jefferson is no doubt a stud. And, and I think you do make a great point of with them losing uh, Dwayne Askers that they might tend to be more um, run, run, not, not first, but kind of more running plays in their scheme because it did help that you have two dynamic weapons that you can't really crowd the box for um, Ladarius Jefferson, but now they're kind of going to use the running game to open up the passing game more. Caleb Elby, I, I saw a pro football focus had him in the like top 50 quarterbacks I think um, Dustin Kerm was below him. So it just shows you the talent on this Western Michigan side. No matter that they're losing uh, Dwayne Eskridge is why I picked them to win the, the MAC championship this year. They have so many weapons as it is. I, I like their chances in Ladarius Jefferson to establish the run game, to let the pass game flow a little bit more. It's going to be harder without Dwayne Eskridge, yes, but I think they can do it with the weapons they have on um, their team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They, I think they can definitely compete for, for a MAC championship this year. And I think most people expect them to compete for a MAC championship this year. Uh, let's move in uh, to a team that unfortunately probably is not going to compete for a MAC championship this year. Uh, but let's talk about Akron here for a minute, Sam. Obviously, it's been a couple rough years under Tom Arthur. They're starting to build things. It seems like they're starting to get a little bit of momentum. Who do you have as, as the uh, the Zips uh, MVP this year? I went with the guy that a season ago ranked ninth or two seasons ago ranked ninth nationally in total tackles finished second on the defense um, with 125 tackles, four tackles for loss, two sacks. You may not, he may not be a, a guy that, you know, unfortunately he plays for Akron. So he doesn't really get the recognition he deserves, but Bubba Arslanian, I'm, I hope I'm saying his name right. 5'10", 205 linebacker coming out of um, Akron. I like the linebackers that can roam. That can that is the field general, like a Trayshawn Howard was for Western Michigan. And I love Bubba. Not only his name, his name Bubba is yeah. just on par with the greats, in my opinion. Love people named Bubba, but his defense is just insane. He had three sacks last year as a linebacker, and this isn't an outside linebacker like you see out of Anthony Ekpe. This is just a regular linebacker. He has a weird – I'm not a big fan of the 27 number for him, but I'll look beyond <laughs> that. I think his production for this Akron's defense, they have a lot of young people. He's one of the older people at, at being a redshirt junior, being he's been there for four seasons. He's got to step up for this Akron's defense to be able to elevate their game to the next level. I, I, I stand by my pick of uh, Bubba. 
No, I think it's a great pick, Sam. This is a guy, you know, you mentioned linebackers that can roam. I mean, this is a guy that plays middle linebacker but has range. It can play sideline to sideline, hence why he racks up so many tackles. I mean, even last year, you know, 74 tackles in uh, in five games. I mean, that's that's nothing to sneeze at. This is a guy that has range, and he's been on that defense playing for a long, long time now. As you mentioned, he's a redshirt junior, so going into his fourth year playing significant snaps with uh, with uh, for the Zips. Uh, for me on Akron, I actually I went with on, on the offensive side of the ball here. Uh, I went with Cato Nelson. Cato Nelson uh, was a three-year starting quarterback for the Zips. He sat out last season uh, because of an injury. Uh, he had sh- sh- shoulder surgery before the season started, but he was their starter for three years prior to that. He actually led Akron to the MAC championship game back in 2017 in his freshman year. He's thrown for over 5,000 yards in his Akron career and 34 touchdowns. He's a dual threat guy. He can get out and run a little bit. It's not, he's not a, he, I wouldn't call him, you know, someone that's going to look to run on every play, but if a play breaks down, he can get you some yardage with his feet for a team that was so young and is still so young on both sides of the ball, having a veteran leader like that, a calming presence like Cato Nelson under center, I think will really benefit the offense this year. Zach Gibson, the true freshman last year, you know, he got, he got uh, kind of thrown into the fire. He didn't perform terribly. I mean, he completed 58% of his passes, four touchdowns, five interceptions. But I still think that having a guy like Cato Nelson coming back under center, having that veteran presence, that coach on the field is really going to help Akron's offense this year and allow them to have a little bit more consistency. You know, if Teon Dollar can continue to, to, to run the ball well behind that offensive line, I think Cato Nelson back under center will give them a big boost. I, I agree. And with any championship team, not only do you need kind of up and coming guys, but you need veteran leaders all along the way. And Cato Nelson has not only the um, experience, he has the winning pedigree. And I, if I'm, if I'm a young guy uh, from Akron, I see my quarterback has led my led, led this team, not, not just any team led Akron specifically the team I'm on to a max championship game, which shows this team can not only do this, but he can do it more specifically, which puts my confidence in him twice the amount. Um, Akron had their bright spots last year, obviously didn't end up with the best record, but they could compete with anybody. I think there was a couple games that they, that they had the potential to win that they kind of let slip through their finger. And I think that has a lot to do with inexperience and, and Tom Arth kind of not, I wouldn't say trusting his guys, but he kind of played it cautious at times considering the youth on this team. Cato Nelson's going to, if, if anyone's going to rally this troop, it's going to be a, a experienced guy like Cato Nelson who has the winning pedigree. I, yeah, I like your pick, um, Cato Nelson. Yeah, so we'll see what happens for Akron this year, if they can get over the hump and win a couple of MAC games. Uh, let's move on to Ohio here, Sam. It looks like we were thinking the same thing again. We went with the same guy here. I'd like to hear your your rationale behind uh, going with Demontre Tuggle. Yeah, I, I think it's an easy one. I, I think this guy is a guy who went, we mentioned last uh, episode, funny enough, for the NIL thing, and that's Demontre yeah. Tuggle. I mean, he's, he's just a stud to to – break it down and of course O'Rourke gets all the credit for being the quarterback but with Ohio's offense they needed a solid running back and that's where Demontre Tuggle fits in so perfectly he's just a stud on the field off the field he's a nice solid leader for Ohio if anyone's going to need to step up to lead Ohio it, um, 
who's kind of, I would say, searching for an identity now that um, Frank Solich retired. Maybe they'll switch things up a little bit, but I trust Tim Albin's judgment being the offensive guru he is to give Demontre Tuggle the ball a heck of a lot. I think even more than last year would help Ohio immensely. He's, he's just a stud, to be to be honest. Yeah, I'm with you, Sam. And, and I think he's a stud. I agree with you. And I think a big part of the reason why I went with him for the MVP this year is that, first of all, this is a team that's been always a run-heavy, run-first offense, right? Last year, they were six, or I'm sorry, they were 18th in the country in rushing yards per game, 217 yards per game. They also averaged 39 rushing attempts per game this last year, which, when you know, as most of college football and football in general seems to be moving more towards the pass, but Ohio's offense has always been based on running the ball first. They returned their entire offensive line from last year. Plus they add Virginia tech transfer TJ Jackson at tackle. And with coach Tim Albin getting elevated from, from offensive coordinator to head coach, I only expect that run heavy run first identity to continue. And, you know, Tuggle is a guy that thrives in it. Six touchdowns, 403 yards last year, 7.6 yards per carry in only three games. So this is a guy that has proven uh, to, that he's a, you know, an every down back that he can, you know, get you those tough yards. Um, I think he's going to have a huge year this year. I could see something. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go for like 1200 plus yards this year, Sam. Yeah. I would be surprised that either in moving on to Bowling Green, I, I switched my answer. I, I originally went with Ontario Jones, I believe, but then I, the more I thought about it, the saying goes, if you hit rock bottom, the only way you can go is up. And with Bowling yeah. Green, I think they hit rock bottom. I hope this year they don't hit rock bottom, and that's why I put anybody. I think anybody, and jokingly, the even if they had a um, training staff coach out there playing, he could potentially go off. I'm not sure who's <laughs> going to step up for Bowling Green. I, I'm not going to pinpoint one person because it, it's a, get, a guess to me. I think Bowling Green's super inexperienced. The, they don't have a lot of studs returning, no offense to Bowling Green. There's not a one guy, I think, so, like with these other 11 MAC teams, you can go out and say, hey, this one guy is going to sub up. But with Bowling Green, I think it could be anybody, and I think I'm just going to wait and see from the sidelines who really shines for this uh, Bowling Green team because really anybody can considering the low point they had last season. Yeah, I hear what you're saying there, Sam. I mean, this is definitely the one team that you look at and it's like, man, it's hard to find a bright spot here. I'm going to do my best, though. I'm going to do my best I because I, I, I think you're, you make a very good point that they seem to be at rock bottom as a program. But one of the bright spots, one of the silver linings for me last year for Bowling Green was true freshman running back Terry on Stewart. I think they may have found their running back of the future. He averaged eight yards a carry last year, 37 attempts, 295 yards, four touchdowns, only played in three games. First game he played against Kent State last year, uh, 14 carries, 162 yards and two touchdowns. Follow that up with nine carries for 42 yards and two touchdowns against Buffalo. So this is a guy that ha showed some promise last year, more so than any of the young guys. You know, there was a lot of expectations placed on transfer quarterback Matt McDonald. He did not look great. A lot of people just thought this offense in general was going to be a lot better last year, and it turned out not to be the case. But I think Terry on Stewart was one guy where you could look at him and say, okay, there's a chance for progress here for the future. He was very promising as a freshman. And much to your point, Sam, 
with so many other question marks on this offense and on this team in general, they're going to need guys like Terry on Stewart to step up and have a big year. And I think now that they know what he can do, I could definitely see them leaning on him a little bit more than they did uh, last season. Let's move on to uh, next up. We got Buffalo, obviously a team in a little bit of transition, new coaching staff, a bunch of guys transferred out. Who do you see as uh, Buffalo's MVP moving on this year, Sam? I went with the guy who is, is a big time name now that Jarrett Patterson is gone. And this guy, I would, I would have been interested to see if this guy was a full-time back, what his stats would look like. Because as good as Jared Patterson was, I think Kevin, I think this person is, I'm not going to say the name yet, but you probably already figured it out. This guy was, I wouldn't say as good as Jared Patterson, but I would say barely a step below. I think Kevin Marks Jr. is the guy I'm going with because of how electric he was. And at times he played better than Jared Patterson. I'm not saying yeah. over the course of the season, he was better than Jared Patterson because there's no saying that. But in 2019, even with Jared Patterson, he still averaged over 100 yards per game, posted a thousand yard season, or no, he averaged over 100 yards per game in 2020, posted a thousand yard season in 2019. He already ranks. This is this is mind blowing. Being a second running back in the system, already ranks in the top 10 in school history in career yards and touchdowns. Wow. And this is a guy who's been a backup. And yeah. for me, I can't wait to watch him in this offense now that he backed out of the transfer portal, just kind of flourish because even though I, I believe they lost somebody on the offensive line from a year ago who, mm-hmm. to the NFL, I still expect Buffalo's O-line to be really good this season. Uh, I, I know they lost – I think they lost one of their offensive linemen to um, Kansas as well, if I'm not wrong on that as That's well. That's right. That's correct, yeah. But I still expect Buffalo's offense to go without a hitch. I, I'm expecting big things from Kevin Marks. Yeah, I'm with you, Sam. I mean, 1,000 yards two years ago, averaged six and a half yards a carry last year. I think you're right. And uh, he's going to need to have a big year if, if the Bulls want to get back to a bowl game this year. Another guy that I think is going to have to be, have a big year for Buffalo this year is quarterback Kyle Van Trees. It feels to me, Sam, this is a roster that had so much turnover this year. It feels to me that like Kyle Van Trees and Kevin Marks are really like the only solid things returning for Buffalo's offense that they know that they have, that they're proven commodities. I mean, Kyle Van Trees last year, 1,300 yards passing, seven touchdowns, three interceptions, 62% completion. Um, Similar to what I was talking about with Cato Nelson at Akron. With a team like Buffalo, with a new coaching staff and a bunch of roster turnover, you need to have veteran guys that can be a calming presence on the field. I think Buffalo has two of them here with Kevin Marks and with Kyle Van Trees. I don't want this team. The reason I went with Kyle Van Trees, though, is because if this team wants to have success, I feel like they're going to have to be, they can't just be one dimensional on offense. They can't just rely on Kevin Marks. It felt like last year they fell into that trap where they just ran the ball because they could do it all the time. There were games last year where Kyle Van Trees barely threw 10 passes. I need a little bit more from Kyle Van Trees this year being a senior leader. And so I think him and Kevin Marks, if Buffalo is going to have any success this year, it's going to start with these two guys. I, I agree completely. I think where they, they did wrong is they fell into Ball State's trap of being too run heavy. And I, I think to your credit, you're right. They're going to need Kyle Van Trees to throw a lot more. And I give Kyle Van Trees a lot of credit 
in an RPO system, it's on the quarterback to make smart decisions. And obviously the smart decision, obvious choice is to hand it off, but it still takes a lot of, takes a lot of um, intelligence, a lot of decision-making to know when to throw it, when to, to keep it, when to hand it off. I give Calvin trees to leading that offense to so well, because yeah, it's easy because you have Kyle or Kyle Marks and Jared Patterson, but to have the wherewithal to dissect these defenses time and time again is impressive. And, and he could have been a quarterback where he just said, hey, you're not giving me the ball to throw it and just really just tank this whole offense. But he embraced his role in the offense, and their offense excelled as a result. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I'm very curious to see how the Bulls season unfolds this year. Um, up in Buffalo, given all their the, the turnover they had this offseason on their roster and on their coaching staff. Let's move on to Miami here, Sam. The Red Hawks coming off of a little bit of a disappointing season last year. Who do you have as the MVP for the Red Hawks this year? I, I went with someone who, in my mind, needs to step up. I went with a 6'4 defensive back, really play safety for this um, Miami Red Hawk defense, and that's Sterling Weatherford. When I was watching Miami, Ohio last season, he seemed to get exposed. I'm going to be honest. I was watching him. He got exposed uh, a little bit too much for my liking. Of course, he's young. He's only been in the system for three years. But I want to see more growth out of him. I, I think he has the um, potential to be an all-star Bryce Cosby in that defensive backfield for Miami, Ohio. I think I think he, he felt a little bit too confident after that 2019 year in which he had 11 pass deflections, one interception. But 2020, he was frankly exposed in my mind. I want to see some more in progression like I know we, he can do. If he can improve on that 2019 season he had, the, the he's going to be a draft pick come the NFL in, in no time because Emmanuel Ragamba has gone. He's going to be left in that backfield all alone. And if he can make big plays for this Red Hawks defense, I expect big things from this from him in the, the defense. Yeah, I mean, you look at his 2019 season stats. I mean, 98 tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries. That's a heck of a year there. So I hear what you're saying, Sam. I think if he can get back to that level again, it's going to go a long way for the Red Hawks. I also went with someone on the defense for the Red Hawks this year. I went with uh, defensive lineman Cameron Butler, third-team All-Mac defensive line last year, 2.5 sacks, 16 tackles on the season. I think, you know, Miami to me is a little bit is, is unique in the MAC in the sense that I feel like they're kind of a defense-first team, whereas a lot of these teams are going to just try and outscore you. But I think Miami is one team that really wants to play good defense and is capable of beating you with defense. They have 10 returning starters this year. This could be one of the best defenses that, that Miami has had under head coach Chuck Martin. And I think it's going to start with Cameron Butler and Sterling Weatherford. So I think I, we were thinking the same thing here. I think, um, you know, if, if Miami wants to get back to the MAC championship game, like they did two years ago, it's going to start with their defense and, and, you know, we'll see how that plays out for them. Um, let's move on, Sam. Uh, got a couple minutes left here. We'll go with, uh, let's go on to, to Eastern Michigan here. What do you think about the Eagles this year? I went with two things. I went with Taran Rush, who was my other um, impact player to watch on the Eastern Michigan side. You can go back and listen to kind of my thoughts on Taran Rush and how much of a stud he was and should be this season. And then I went with the O-line. I think at times we forgot how how lucky Preston Hutchinson was to have that O-line. It seemed like at times he had days suspended in that pocket. 
And a lot of that had to do with the O-line. And, of course, we saw Preston Hutchinson use his legs here and there and kind of scramble and do his work. But that O-line was really solid a year ago. I expect the offense to do big things, giving Preston Hutchinson another another year under his belt, another year of experience. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be watching out for the Eastern Michigan Eagles this season um, coming out of the MAC. I'm with you, Sam. I, I, li- I really like what the Eagles have going right now. I know we talked to Vanzi a couple weeks ago, and he, and he agrees as an Eastern Michigan alum and fan. I mean, you look at the offensive line. They have all their starters back from last year. Um, I think, you know, if there's one thing, one, if there was one criticism of their offense last season, it's that they weren't great at running the ball. I think with having all of their starters back this year and having some continuity, they're going to be able to run the ball better. Preston Hutchinson, you know what you're getting from him. He's one of the best, I think, most underappreciated players in the conference. For me on Eastern Michigan, I was looking at their defense and I, I went with, you mentioned Teran Rush. I went with Teran Rush and also uh, Terry Myrick. And, and my thinking here, Sam, was that similar to Ball State, um, I, I don't have many questions about the Eagles offense, but the defense is much more suspect for me. They were dead last in total defense last year in the Mac 490 yards a game. They were ninth in passing defense and ninth in rushing defense. They were ninth in sacks, ninth in turnover margin. Um, Teren rush was second in the Mac and sacks. He was one of the few, a uh, few bright spots. He had three and a half sacks last year. And then also Terry Myrick actually led the Mac in tackles with over 120 tackles last year. So these are two guys, two veteran leaders of this defense that I'm going to need to see them step up a little bit more this year. The defense has got to get better if Eastern Michigan wants to get back to a bowl game. And I think they're capable of it. I think Teren rush and Terry Myrick are two very talented, all Mac caliber dudes. And if they can, up their level of performance and drag the rest of the defense along with them. I think Eastern Michigan will absolutely get back to a bowl game and could be a dark horse to compete for the West division title. I, I completely agree. And moving on to Northern Illinois for time's sake, I went with somebody who I think is one of the most underrated. He did get the recognition with first team all Mac um, last season, but this is a dude who you can listen to my thoughts on him last uh, kind of the season before I love Tyrese Ritchie. I, I love his his game as a receiver. 53 catches, 597 yards, almost 100 yards a catch in, in six games a season ago. Before that, he had 415 yards and four touchdowns. And I expect this dude just to explode this season. I could see even 800, 900 yards for this dude. He's just so electric. I love watching his game. He's six foot 194 goes up against the best corners and just exposes them. I love his game. If you, if he, he, he sometimes does get overshadowed because he, because of Northern Illinois struggles last season, but this dude's a straight baller. I, I can't wait to watch him this season. I expect big things from Tyrese Ritchie um, come, come this season. I agree completely, Sam. I think he is to your point, one of the most underappreciated talents in the conference you know, 53 catches, you know, led the Mac in, in receptions last year, four touchdowns, 11 and a half yards per catch. I, I really enjoy watching him play. I went with a, a, my Northern Illinois pick, similar to what Sam said. You can listen to me talk about this guy a couple weeks ago. I'm going with uh, freshman running back Harrison Whaley, along with Tyrese Ritchie, one of the few bright spots on the Huskies offense last year, 456 yards rushing, uh, 4.3 yards per carry as a true freshman between behind a very young, very inexperienced offensive line. I think these two guys this year, Sam, with Rocky Lombardi, presumably under center, getting them the ball, 
I think this offense is going to be much improved and, and certainly uh, will allow the Huskies to be more competitive this year. I certainly don't see the Huskies going 0 12 this year uh, and, you know, going winless like they did last year. I think they'll surprise some people in the Mac. Let's uh, to round out our segment here, Sam, last but not least, we got Kent state here. Who are you going with for the golden flashes? I haven't gone with a whole lot of running backs so far. So I went with one Kent state and it's Marquez Cooper. We obviously know Dustin Crum amazing the best I would say hands down best quarterback in the Mac even above Caleb Elby Drew Plitt etc but I'm not sure you can put Dustin Crum this is his what fifth year in the system I believe so yeah eventually you're gonna have to kind of ease off of him I know you want to throw the ball with him 50 times but I think for this Kent State offense you need to slow things down a bit I think for the defense to kind of catch up, catch their breath, you're going to need to control the time of possession more. And that comes out down to a guy who who had 56 uh, carries, 282 yards and five touchdowns, five yards per carry, seven yards a game. I think the one thing he needs to improve on is the receiving ability. I mean, he's 5'6", 184. If the one thing he should be good at for his frame, that's being a receiving back, put him in the slot. Who what linebacker is going to be able to keep up with that, that him or even a corner for that matter. I, I think Marquez Cooper is going to be needed to be dependent on. He had a great small sample size a season ago. I expect big things coming into his uh, sophomore season. Yeah, I'm with you there, Sam. I think he he's going to have a big year this year. Um, and I think my, my, my O line or my, my pick for Kent state is similar as I'm going with the offensive line, just the whole O line. This is a, a team three returning starters back from a team that led the Mac in most offensive categories last year. They were actually, um, they were only allowed five sacks all season. They were third in the nation in rushing yards at 283 point yards per game. First in total yards at 606 yards per game last year. So I think Kent state, you know, we know there's question marks on defense, but we also know that their offense is going to be really good. And I think for me, that all starts with the offensive line. So that's going to wrap up our MVP uh, segment here. Um, for this next segment, we're going to bring in uh, future co-hosts of the Mac bandwagon, Steve Hellwick and fellow hustle belter uh, here on the other side of this commercial break. Sam, any final thoughts before we, uh, we move on to our, our interview with Steve? Uh, no, doing my research, there was plenty of people that besides Bowling Green that I had in my mind, but I think I'm really happy with the, the people I picked. Obviously, we didn't see eye to eye on everything, but I think that's great. I think we brought in a lot of interesting names. I'm sure the I'm sure the people listening to this had some other names in mind, but that's okay. Uh, I was right about Samuel Womack a year ago. Hopefully, I'm right this um, upcoming year. And and yeah, I yeah, I'm happy uh, to to watch some to watch some football this year. Same with me, Sam. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, after on the other side of this commercial break, we're going to bring uh, Steve Helwick in, fellow Hustle Belter and soon-to-be co-host of the podcast. We will see you on the other side here. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. As I mentioned on the other side of the commercial break, we have joining us now uh, future co-host of the Mac Bandwagon podcast and fellow contributor to both the Hustle Belt and Underdog Dynasty, a great college football writer for SB Nation in general, Steve Helwick joining us. Steve, thanks so much for being with us here tonight, man. How you doing? I'm doing excellent tonight. Awesome, man. Thanks you. Thank you for being with us. And so um, just as by way of introducing yourself to our audience um, and as, as a, as a soon to be co-host of the show, can you tell the people a little bit about your background covering the Mac, just covering football in general and some of your experiences you've had here over the last couple of years? I am a huge college football junkie. So there was one night just in college, I was writing a lab paper and I would have rather been doing something else. And I saw that hustle belt had some openings and I procrastinated on that lab report on, I don't know, it was like fractional distillation or something like that. <laughs> and instead, instead, I applied the hustle belt. And then just a couple of days later, I was writing a recap on an Ohio and Tennessee game. And then I was just writing recaps every single week. And late, that was a season in 2016 that Western Michigan went undefeated. Now, mm. I am a rare case of a Mac writer that lives in Texas. And Western Michigan got to play in the Cotton Bowl that year. So my first college football game that I was ever credentialed to was the Western Michigan-Wisconsin Cotton Bowl in the 2016 season. And it was an unforgettable experience. Just a great game, uh, great media hospitality in AT&T Stadium, and just a fun overall team and game to cover. And since I've I covered a total of five bowl games in my five seasons with Hustle Belt, I did 2016 Cotton Bowl with Western Michigan-Wisconsin. I did 2017 Dollar General Bowl. That was Toledo getting 34 to nothing blown out by App State. Mm. Uh, 2018, I did the Frisco Bowl. That was the opposite. That was Ohio beating San Diego State 27 to zero. Then 2019, I did two MAC Bowls. I flew out to New Mexico uh, for a vacation and to cover the Central Michigan San Diego State game. I think the final was 48 to 11 San Diego State. And the last Mac Bowl game I've covered, I didn't cover any last year in the pandemic season. On December 30th, 2019, I covered the Western Michigan WKU First Responder Bowl in Dallas, Texas, which was a close game decided by a game-winning field goal. So I've had five years of Hustle Belt experience under my belt. This will be my sixth covering the Mac. And I'm planning to start it with a bang this year as Kent State plays at Texas A&M. That's a pretty close drive for me. And I think this will be a fun Kent State team to cover, and that would be a potential upset given the explosiveness of their offense. So I'm looking forward to already starting my coverage this season. Okay, sweet. You mentioned your introduction to Hustle Belt, but as a Mac fan, how were you introduced to the conference? You mentioned you were a college football in general, uh, in general fan. How did you get introduced to the, the conference, and how did you ultimately become a fan of this conference? I've – when I started following college football heavily in 2007, I got in, it was, I think, 120 teams at the time. Now it's 130. I just got into the entire sport in general, and I would rank every single team in an Excel document every single week. 
So in order to do that, I had to watch every team play. And as I got uh, a couple of years later was when midweek action started. That was about the time I was starting high school. And on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, I'd do homework in front of the TV while watching some thrilling games between Toledo and NIU or Western Michigan and Central Michigan. And I really loved watching just Mac football in general. Uh, and I think Jordan Lynch was really the player that made me really enthusiastic about covering the Mac when he had that uh, 2012 Orange Bowl run and then his Heisman yeah. finalist season in 2013. So that those NIU teams and Jordan Lynch, I'm like, I, I want to cover. I want to cover this is what I was thinking when I first applied to Hustle Belt. Yeah, those are definitely great teams, exciting teams to watch and to cover. You, you mentioned, Steve, that you've covered a few Mac Bowl games here over the last couple of years. Is there one you could pick as as like the, the best experience you had in person? I know you mentioned the Cotton Bowl with Western Michigan. Obviously, that was a historic team and a historic game. Did any of those other games top that or what was your best experience covering a game in person? It has to be the Cotton Bowl. I, I've talked to a lot of college football writers before and they say that's about as good as it gets with coverage. Just the way the bowl treats the media and gives a lot of access and opportunities. It is a fantastic week. And I think that their events staff does a great job hosting it. And it really put me at ease as my first game covering. A lot of bowl games might just do a press conference beforehand with Cotton Bowl and other New Year Six Bowls. You get the full media day experience where you can talk to each player and breakout rooms and really get to know them. Uh, know the people that you're covering so I thought that was really helpful getting to talk to Corey Davis and Zach Carroll and uh, Taylor Moten and all the stars of that Western Michigan team before the game also getting to know PJ Fleck and the opponents of Wisconsin that they had TJ Watt on that team and Corey Clement and it was a pretty good Wisconsin team too and then the game itself it was just a hyped atmosphere because Western Michigan was playing its biggest game in program history and they all flocked to Dallas there were row the boat chants so loud in the stadium before the game. It was, it was impressive, just surreal thinking that they were a one in 11 team a few years ago. And then Wisconsin fans, they traveled too very well. And it just created an intense atmosphere for a new year six game. And the game itself was pretty good. Uh, 24 to 16 stayed within one possession. And there were a, a lot of interesting highlights during the game. Uh, Wisconsin tight end Troy Fumagalli going off. Corey Davis making the catch of his life on Western Michigan's final touchdown of the game. And it was just a tremendous atmosphere. So we, so for, for me, uh, I think we've done three interviews so far and I've kind of asked each alum of each school to describe kind of their school's fan base. So in your words, if you had to describe an average Mac fan from age demographics, whatever, like, characteristics um how would you describe that that kind of average fan like their their attitude kind of yeah just how would you describe them that's a difficult question for me I actually haven't been up to a home stadium of a Mac team yet or covered a game there so most of my interactions are with people online or when I'm watching a game at a bar and I see someone wearing a bowling green sweater and I talk to them about bowling green or something like that so that would be something that's hard to characterize. I'm uh, I'm a Texas alum, uh, a former Longhorn, so that's probably like the fan base that I know the most. And they never they never played a Mac school when I was there, so I never mm -hmm. even got to see that visiting atmosphere. 
Steve, you mentioned uh, you mentioned in your first answer, obviously, you know, going over up to College Station to to cover Kent State to open the season this year. Any any teams or anything you're excited about in the future, you know, this year for the MAC or moving forward? Any teams or programs you see positioned to kind of take that next step? Uh, obviously, I think a lot of people with Sean Lewis at the helm at Kent State kind of see them as one of those programs. Any other programs that come to your mind that you really see kind of building towards a, a higher level of success right now? Well, first, I'll start by talking about Kent State just because I am intrigued with the program because Sean Lewis inherited a team that finished 129th out of 130th and scoring offense. And last year, they were first averaging 50 points a game. I know they only had a four-game schedule, and I know two of those games were Akron and Bowling Green. But signs of this progress were evident during the end of the 2019 season when they won four straight to become bowl eligible, and they put up 51 points on a really good Utah State team. So Kent State's turnaround has been magnificent. And the turnaround of Dustin Crum, their starting quarterback, is insane because I remember in the Paul Haynes era, I didn't know if he was a playable starting quarterback at the FBS level. Now, when I'm ranking all 130 starting quarterbacks in the country, he's hovering in that top 10 for me just because of yeah. his dual threat abilities, his accuracy, completing about 74% of his passes last year, having 34 touchdowns and four interceptions since taking over as a starter of Kent State in 2019. He stays mistake-free. He has a mastery of his own read. And he's really the captain of this Kent State offense, and he makes all the skill position players look great around him. They have an experienced offensive line coming back. I know there might be some questions on defense, which were reasonable after to have questions about that unit after they gave up 70 to Buffalo last year. But I think Kent State's offense is just going to be such a thrilling unit, and they can uh, – they can like Oklahoma their way to victories like back in the Bob Stoops era where Oklahoma's defense was heavily criticized but the Sooners would still make the playoffs just due to sheer offensive output and I'm excited about this offense I wrote an article back in March that I think that they should go for two points every single time this year just because Oregon had success with that in the Chip Kelly era and I really don't see many teams in the MAC stopping this offense. That, that is an interesting point bring up on the 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 two-point conversion and, and this is my last question and this this isn't mac related but because you're a texas alum i made this joke earlier in the episode but i've got to ask is texas back texas can be back some seasons but not other seasons like when sam ellinger said we're back after they won the 2018 sugar bowl they were back they won a new year six bowl I mean, that's one of the six best games in the country, and they beat a Georgia team that they were double-digit underdogs. And they I know the final score was 28-21, but they really dominated them for most of the game before Georgia scored some garbage-time touchdowns. They were back at that point. I know they haven't had a season that's replicated that since, but some seasons they might be back, some they might not. It depends what you call back. But they finished ranked three straight seasons in a row, and I thought – I thought the Tom Herman era was a success. I know it came to an end, but just compared to what Charlie Strong was doing with that program, finishing five and seven, six and seven every year, Herman brought them to four straight bowl wins, three straight ranked seasons, and they have a good outlook for the 2021 season with Bijan Robinson and Casey Thompson running the offense. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Steve. I I uh, I think Sarkeesian was an interesting hire, and I'm I'm curious to see 
how that works, but um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly, we'll every, I think everyone always has their eyes on Texas when it comes to college football season. So we'll see how the Longhorns acquit themselves this year. Well, Steve, thanks for stopping by here tonight, man. We appreciate the time. Looking forward to, to continuing this podcast with you starting next week. Everyone get used to hearing his voice. He is uh, Steve Helwick, fellow Hustle Belt, Underdog Dynasty, SB Nation contributor. will be joining me as a co-host starting next week. Uh, I know uh we're recording here on Wednesday night, Steve. I know you're ready to go watch game four of the finals, as am I. We'll let you get out of here, man. Thanks a lot for stopping by. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Bucks and six. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. And thanks again for uh, for new host Steve Helwick stopping by in our last segment to kind of introduce himself to the audience a little bit. Looking, you know, looking forward to working with him moving forward. Really excited to, to be doing that. Uh, we brought in our fearless leader here, uh, Detroit Lions, Detroit Pistons, Central Michigan super fan, creative belt hustle, or I'm sorry, creative belt. Hustle creative belt, belt of cre- hustle director. I like it. <laughs> hustle belt creative director, James Nivedez. James, thanks for joining us here to uh, send Sam out on a high note. Yeah, like I said, I'm always happy to come on. And, you know, we, had, we have for some time been looking to, you know, Sam notified me, you know, several weeks back that, he was looking to start focusing on his full-time job and all that. He will still have a role here at Hustle Belt. I had talked to him yesterday, the day before, about doing perhaps a weekly opinion column for us. So he won't be disappearing forever into the limelight. or in, Well, not into the limelight, but out of the limelight or anything like that. He'll still be around to call me all those nicknames that you heard when Zach introduced me in. <laughs> uh, a, a little background. I've been... Uh, my girlfriend and I have been spending the last 20 minutes trying to figure out my microphone because for whatever reason, the computer refused to let the microphone work. And in that time, uh, Zach and Sam were riffing on like nicknames to call me, which really goes to show like you guys have been doing this for over a year now. I want to say two weeks ago was the one year anniversary of this That's podcast. It, yep. And, you know, you can really tell by now how much you guys like each other. And I'm, and, you know, I'm really sad in a way to see it go. And that's why I wanted to come out here because Sam has really put his heart and soul into making this thing work. And, you know, he set up the Twitter account and he's, you know, got everybody to follow along. He and Zach were really instrumental in, you know, getting Jeremy on board for the first episode. And, you know, Sam was always churning out ideas and was really talkative, you know, in our private dms for when we're producing this show and so i just want to say from the bottom of my heart thank you so much sam for all the work you've put in over the last year and a couple weeks and you know i can't wait to work with you more hands-on than you know i do here on the podcast when we're working on doing your opinion column because you know i've i've let you guys play in the podcast play pen for a little bit but you know you're coming over to the writing side and that means you're in my territory when it comes to that so you know i I, i'll really enjoy it and you know i've been talking to steve for some time too about you know making more frequent appearances on here and i approached him about coming in to replace you for a little bit and he was really excited you know maybe we might even bring in a third host someday you know it's thanks to sam's perseverance that we were really able to get this thing off the ground and for that can't thank you enough man that's why I wanted to come on here in your last episode and just say, hurrah, good on you. 
So, so I want I want to take a few moments, uh, James. This would not have been possible without you. I I appreciate you not only taking a chance on me for Hustleball in general, but also when I approach you about the the podcast um, idea of me co-hosting, um, really letting me make it my really my own. Obviously, there was a few tweaks in here, but really allowing me and Zach especially to make it our own. This was a fun time for me and Zach. I would say, unlike a lot of jobs that I've had and a lot of people have, they're miserable when they show up to work each week. And, and I can say for certain, I was never miserable showing up to this podcast, um, recording it. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I just appreciate you taking a chance on me. Um, Zach, this was a blast growing this from episode you, you started episode two. So from episode two to episode 54, this was one heck of a run. Like I'll never forget this experience. It was fun getting this off the ground. And I can't honestly wait to see where you guys are a year, two or even three years from now. Yeah, man, it's been great. It's been really fun building this thing up here over, over the last year. And uh, we're, we're sad to see you go. If you are going to be sticking around on Hustle Bell for, you know, a weekly opinion piece or whatever the case may be, would love to have you on at some point to defend those opinions. Uh, we know we've gotten into it on Twitter before. The NIU <laughs> fan base has gotten mad at us. The Toledo fan base has gotten mad at us. I'm sure you'll still be ruffling some feathers with your with your weekly opinion columns. We'd love to have you back on as a guest every once in a while to defend those opinions a little bit. I, I would I would love to be back on whenever you guys will have me in the end. My aim of the game is to make as many people mad as possible. That's <laughs> no, you, you only live one life, and at the end of the day, you got to have fun with it, and, and that's my purpose. So I know I made people mad with my first article, and I, I made Toledo fans mad in that process. Like you said, Northern Illinois fans. I'm looking to make all the Mac fan base <laughs> hate me by the end of this year. That's I say, goodness, <laughs> you, you, you've got a heart, you got a stronger heart than I because I put uh, my last couple – opinion articles didn't turn out so well and oh boy <laughs> hey. i'm gonna stay off there for a while but now nah, you're going in there ratters uh sabers rattling so yeah guns blazing hey twitter's a place where they're not saying it to your face so i just brush it off have some fun with it and yeah that's that's kind of my final thoughts i uh, i'm i'm looking forward to making some people mad but at the end of the day what else is twitter for then just going back and forth with people I hear you, man. I hear that you. Well, spirit. That's it. I, I agree. That's a good attitude to have. Well, uh, Sam, uh, from, from myself, from James, everyone here that's been involved in the podcast over the last year, thank you for all the hard work, man. It's been a pleasure. Uh, this is a, this is a, it's not a goodbye. It's a see you later. As they say, we'll, we'll have you, we'll, we're looking forward to not having dead. you back on. In the, what's that? Not dying. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He's not, uh, he's not, uh, he doesn't have a, you know, he's not expiring on us or anything like that. We'll, we'll have him back on as a guest from time to time here. Uh, so that's going to be it for Sam, for myself, for James, for Steve. Thank you for everyone for, for listening to us again this week. This has been episode 54 of The Bandwagon. Looking forward to being back with uh, with Steve next week. We're going to start looking into some team previews as college football season gets a little bit closer. But that's not what we're about here tonight right now. Right now, I'm going to give uh, Sam one last final farewell. Thanks for everything, Sam. It's been a pleasure, man. Everyone, thank you for stopping by and listening this week as always. And we'll see you here next Friday on The Bandwagon. <laughs>